This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. And welcome to those joining us online. Hello to you as well. And those that will watch this later, hello to you. As we get started here today, let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are in a sermon series. Called The Magic Inside. If you haven't been with us, we've been looking at some children's books. Uh, specifically books that I really enjoy uh, reading my kids for the most part. And uh, so maybe if you're older, maybe you haven't seen some of these kids, uh, these books because they're a little newer books, but we've been looking at kids' books and uh, looking at their story and then taking something from that story and looking at how scripture really has a great intro to something in scripture. And I'm really excited about today's book because it's one of my favorites like all the rest of them. But I love this book because most people come across this book and they go, what is with this book, right? <laughs> it is a book that most people, when you come across it, you go, who wrote this and why? And this is horrible. And in fact, uh, when my grandparents come, I always say my grandparents, but when my kids' grandparents come, Kelly's parents come to our house and they find this book, they hide it to make sure they don't have to read it to the kids. And in fact, my wife encourages this. And I had to go ask her, I was like, hey, honey, I need to find this book because I might need to bring it in to share with everybody uh, this book here today. It is a book called Dude. Dude, with an exclamation point, dude. This is the cover of the book. Does anybody know this book, first of all? All right, yeah, all right. One person in here, right? All right, I, I would teach you the art of this book. Now, this is really funny. You may not be able to see this on the picture, but thank you, wife, for being here today. I appreciate that. Uh, this is uh, a book they called Dude, and as you can see, there's a platypus, a beaver, and a shark on the front cover. And what you may not notice from where your seat's right now, but you know, like normally there's the author and they gives the author, and then you know that the illustrator gives the illustrator. Well, the illustrator is, you know, pictures are up there and story, it says, you know, Dan Sentat, but the word, let me say that again, not, not the author, not the words done by, but the word, Aaron Reynolds, which is just great. Because this whole entire book, page after page after page, only has one word. <laughs> in the whole book. So if you're really tired, this is the greatest book to read to your kids, right? Because there's one word, that's all you have to get straight. And if you're dyslexic, you can be good because dude is almost backwards and forwards, it's very similar, right? And so dude, right? And what's great about this book is it is a story of a platypus and a beaver that go out to the beach and they go surfing and of course a shark comes along and freaks them out and the story goes on from there. But what's great about this story is every single word is dude. And if you never thought about the word dude, it has so many meanings to it. It just depends on how you do the inflection, right? Because dude is different than dude is different than dude, right? And so it's all about learning the inflections of the human language, especially English, and to tell the story, you have to get into it. You can't like wimpy out of this book. You gotta get like into it. And of course the story goes something like this, right? They're the platypus and the beaver, they show up to the beach and there's a don't, you know, don't go into the water sign. And they're like, dude, and they're like, eh, dude. So they go out and they go in and they see a pelican come down. They're like, dude. And all of a sudden they see a shark and they're like, dude. And the shark comes around, they're like, dude. And they're running and right. And, and the shark comes up and he goes, dude. 
and they stop and they kind of like notice the shark is trying to be their friend and one has an idea so dude right and he goes back and he comes back and he's got you know ice cream and he's like dude and so they, they eat the ice cream right and then they start surfing together one of the other one has an idea go gets a surfboard comes back brings it to the shark and the shark surfs with them except they all end up crashing and they're like dude Right, and then they crash, and they're laying on. They're like, dude, right on the beach with their broken surfboard. As they cry about it, and all of a sudden the shark has an idea, dude, right? And so they get back in the water, and now they're surfing on the shark. The shark is the surfboard, and they're surfing on them. They're like, dude, and all the people are giving them tens. They're like, dude, right? And then of course they come on the end of the, the they finish surfing. They come onto the beach. The shark has an idea. They go get some more ice cream. Everybody freaks out, dude. They're all running away, and then they sit watching the sunset together, and they go, dude, dude, dude the book ends right sweet right <laughs> like, and and if you really want to appreciate this book you have to have a surfer dude read it to you so you can go online find a youtube you can probably find it pretty easily but find this book and it's a guy that reads it totally surfer dude reads it with his wife and kid and they all do the parts fantastic it's it's literature at its best i can't i can't recommend it to you enough but that's the book right and most people would hate this book i love love this book and my kids get into it they do all the parts and it's great we have a lot of fun and uh in some ways maybe they're being little drama actors for you for later for your, your choir amusements and stuff like that so we'll see what happens but that's the book and what i love about the book is of course that idea right a whole story can be told with one word because that word has so many just beautiful meanings to it and uses to it it really tells a tenement about that word, right? It just, it says so much about that word and what it means. And guess what? The Christian faith has a word like this. In fact, we have many words like this actually, but there's one that probably stands out far and above the rest. A word that has so many meanings and is so beautiful, you can tell the whole story with just that word. Now in your head, you're probably wondering, of course, what that word may be. There's a whole bunch probably processing through you. I'm gonna go with the word that a lot of the reformers loved. By performers, I mean all those, you know, 16th, 17th century and even 18th century people that were reforming the church in all the different ways. And they, you know, had come across scripture again as they were reading it in their own languages. And they discovered, rediscovered so much of the beauty of the story of the gospel that has sort of been misguided in some of those middle ages and oftentimes supplanted by other ideas. And the church, even all the church universal, came back to the scriptural basis of what these words meant. And you're probably wondering, is it the word love? And love's a great one. That's not it, right? A word like faith, it's a great one, but it's not it. The word that I'm thinking of here today is the word grace. Grace. It's a huge word. Enormous word. And when you read scripture, it's, it's just the ideas that grace comes across and displays and presents to us is just enormous. That you can tell the whole entire, entire story of the Bible in that one word, grace. Now, it's interesting. I just want to take a minute. We're going to be jumping into that word, of course, for the rest of this sermon, but I wanted to point out just a little interesting kind of tidbit is oftentimes you often hear the words grace and mercy together, and there's a good reason for that. It's because they're so interlinked in so many different ways, but mercy and grace are technically different. In other words, mercy is this idea. Mercy is the idea that you deserve something and you don't get it. So in other words, you may deserve your standing before the judge and you deserve a harsh sentence and the judge is lenient on you. You received mercy. Or if you're my kids, 
and you keep taking the candy from the candy jar, but you just smile so pretty when you do it that I can't get mad at you, right? And so mercy happens and I just say, go at it kid, have a kid full of candy and go, go nuts, right? Mercy, it's that idea of you deserve something, and in fact, you deserve punishment in so many ways, but you don't get it. That's called mercy. And grace, we're going to come back in just a minute, but just a quick way to understand it is just the opposite of mercy in some sense is that you're getting what you don't deserve. So in other words, you didn't earn it. You didn't achieve it. You didn't do anything to get it. But yet it's offered to you, and you can take it and receive it. That's grace. Now, to be fair... Grace also has mercy in it, if you really kind of play this out, because it doesn't. grace without mercy doesn't make any sense. Uh, for instance, I know there's a, a great old story, and, and for, as far as I know, it's a true story about, I believe it was a Chicago judge back in the early days of America, and uh, they were coming together, and there was a court day, the judge was there, and a woman came on trial for stealing food. And when the judge asked her about it, she said, well, my family was hungry, I couldn't afford the food, so I, I stole it and just outright admitted it and said I stole it to feed my family. The judge that day looked at her and looked at the court, took his, had someone take their hat off and said, pass it around. And he fined every single person in the courtroom that day, a quarter, I think it was, because you know, quarters were worth something back then. <laughs> and, you know, find him a quarter. He said, everybody put a quarter and I'm fining you this. And then he gave the change to the lady. And he said to the courtroom, it's a travesty that we live in a place where someone has to steal for food. Here's some money. Go feed your family. That's the idea of grace and mercy together, right? If you think about that day on that person's life, not only did she receive mercy because she had stolen something, she deserved punishment, she didn't get it, but the day she received grace because she was able to feed her family without having to steal, and also the community learned and chipped in together to protect someone, that everybody should have the right to food in their homes. And of course, grace, if you think about it, means nothing without mercy. If that day he had gathered up all those coins and they had given it to the lady, they said, okay, you still got to go to jail. <laughs> Wouldn't be such grace, would it? So grace always has an element of mercy in that sense. But nonetheless, they're different because one is receiving primarily something which you don't deserve. Now, as we jump into grace, it's, it's interesting to think about this, but we got to jump in and we're going to be jumping into some John Wesley. Yeah, okay, you guys weren't nearly excited. I was hoping you were. Some of them, okay, this side's over here excited. You all looked at me blankly. You all were just kind of wondering what your response was supposed to be. So we'll, we'll try that again. We're going to jump into some John Wesley here today. Yeah, there we go. That's right. Some good old John Wesley. And really, you can talk about this with all the different reformers especially, but even those that came before in the church fathers and those that even wrote the, uh, the scriptures themselves, the apostles and by faith. But I wanted to talk about a little bit about John Wesley and his ideas of grace. And because specifically, he writes a ton about grace. And of course, John Calvin did too, and Martin Luther did too, and all, everybody did too. But John Wesley has some great ideas that are worth sharing here again today as we think about this word grace that can tell the whole entire story of the gospel in that one word. But the first thing you have to understand is that there were some premises that John Wesley built all these ideas on that if we don't go back and at least visit them and talk about them, we can't talk about his ideas of grace because they really don't make any sense. And that is two fundamental doctrines. In fact, John Wesley was famous for saying different things like, you know what, if we agree on those essentials of faith, let's hold hands even though we don't agree on all those other things. Let's hold hands and do amazing stuff together. But those essential things, some of those were the doctrines of what the church 
had always believed. And so two doctrines that are really based upon this whole idea of grace for John Wesley to understand his points of view and what he says and what he sees in Scripture are to take seriously two of these things. The first one is the new birth. The second one is justification by faith alone. Now, what new birth is, the idea is that you and I and every single person who's ever lived on this earth planet except for Jesus Christ and technically Adam and Eve when they were first created were born into sin. And what I mean by that is it wasn't just the idea that you were born and you chose to do some bad things, but literally the air around you, the world around you, like a fish that swims in water, sin was in our lives from the very get-go. And it had already reaped destruction on our lives and even death in our lives. And that without Jesus Christ and the promptings of the Spirit and the God at work in our life, that we would be left to death and death alone. And what the new birth doctrine pretty much says is that every single person who's ever lived on the face of the earth has to be transformed by God's power. And that God has to do it. And that it's not enough to just kind of go to church. It's not enough to just kind of want to do some good things in your life. We have to be transformed and given a whole new birth as a Christian. That we walk with Christ and that we become a brand new person saved by alone by him and his works that we'll talk to you about justification by faith in just a minute but we're saved and changed and become a whole new different person by that experience of being changed by God now there's a whole lot more to say about that but just so you know it doesn't have to be a pinpoint point in your life like for me I've talked about on August 11 1996 there was that day where I met Jesus Christ and I started to follow him and that was my moment of coming to faith and new birth but if you don't have a specific day, a specific moment, that's, don't let that fret. The big question to ask upon yourself right now is this. Is have I actively chosen to follow Jesus Christ? Have I actively accepted the grace he offers in my life? And that might have been over years. It might have been over just the experience of growing up. And there was never something in your life that you remember specifically doing it, but you just were raised in the church in such a way that you've always chosen those ways. That your new birth was so young, if you will, that you've grown up always on the opposite side of it. Nonetheless, this doctrine is essential that every single one of us has to be transformed. And the second part of that is justification by faith is that the only way to be transformed is by faith in Jesus Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. And that's specifically that event in history that the justification comes not because we earn it, not because we, you know, have in our, our ledger of good deeds and bad deeds that one outweighs the other, not that we can just be good people, if you will, and try to do all those things that we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ and our faith, trust, and belief in Jesus Christ is the operative thing that Christ is able to make that work happen inside us. And so when I talk about grace here today, you got to we have to just accept those two things. If we want to have further conversation, we can have that and all that different stuff. But nonetheless, just to finish this sermon, none of this will make sense unless you buy those two things. And in fact, in John Wesley, when he would describe uh, this exact thing, he would basically said, uh, he, he gave a, a funeral speech of one of his friends named George Whitfield. You probably may have heard that name if you're a historian. George Whitfield was one of the most famous preachers pretty much of all time. And especially in the days at which he lived, he was probably the most famous. And he was known for, he was an Englishman that came over and was known for preaching in America. And great, huge, many people would come and hear him preach. And people would be so moved at, you remember this whole idea of, of uh, the great awakening in America and all those things. He was one of the main people and players in that. Well, John Wesley preached his funeral. And he preached his funeral because George Whitfield wanted him to preach the funeral and asked him to. 
and they had some different theological differences in how they understood the Bible, but it was key to telling that when John Wesley described George Whitfield, he said about the new birth and justification by faith that these were two doctrines that he had to have, and that even though they disagreed on many different things, these essential things they agreed on. And in these words, I direct quote him. He says, let all who are called into the gospel ministry champion these doctrines in public and private and at every opportunity. Even if they are out of fashion, let us keep close to those good and ancient truths, regardless of how many people may deny or blaspheme them. So these are not just kind of things that are nice to believe in. These are things that John Wesley and others of his age would say are essential to understanding Christianity and the gospel. The doctrine, again, of, of both new birth and justification by faith. Now, in the context of that, John Wesley talked a whole bunch about grace and what it means in our life. And his best way known to work, um, John Wesley was a theologian, but he wasn't a theologian in what many ways theologians do. Most theologians do this. They go, hmm, I'm going to sit down and write everything I know about God and make a book about it. And if they're really overachievers, they write many books about it. And so you get these like anthologies of theology of people, right, that are just, you have to buy like 15 books to get the theology of someone in history, right? And they write and write and write about it. John Wesley did not write like that. He was a theologian, but he wrote it in sermons. And in fact, kind of how he did his theology was he had 52 what they call the standard sermons of John Wesley, which he gave to his preachers. And he said, hey, when you preach, this is what you need to be preaching. Now, he didn't mean, like, go out and take the sermon and, like, just read it. He meant, like, the theology that's in it, what's teaching, what they see in the scripture, what we profound and explain what the authors of the gospels were writing about and what scripture testifies about Jesus Christ. These are the things you need to preach. And in those 52 sermons, there's one that's probably the most famous as far as the most useful. It's called the Scripture Way of Salvation. And it's actually my second favorite of all of John Wesley's writings. But in it, he talks a lot about grace. And so a lot of what I'm going to share with you, if you want to know more about it, hear from John Wesley's words himself, you can go find the Scripture Way of Salvation of his 52 uh, sermons, if you will, standard sermons, and read it for yourself. But in it, he describes grace. And he describes grace in a couple different ways. The first one is this. He says, you know what? We all are dead to sin. And before we even made a choice in our life, we were dead to sin. Because we were born into it. But he said that that didn't stop God's grace from being upon our life. Now, John Calvin or someone like that would call this common grace. But John Wesley decided to cry out, call it prevenient grace. Of course, prevenient means to precede something, right? And so something else is coming after this. But his idea was that before we ever are changed by Jesus Christ and transformed into the new birth, God's grace is still in our life. And it's everywhere. It's all over the place. And in fact, the very idea that you and I aren't totally depraved of sin, but the fact that you and I have a conscience, that the fact that you and I have a, even though we may disagree on right and wrong, we still agree that there is a right and wrong, this idea that right and wrong even exist. That the idea that you and I are, know that there is a thing as justice and not injustice, that you and I seek kindness and just recognize it as a common good that people everywhere need to have and hospitality of others, even different than us. That we all need to walk humbly in the sense that we all know that we fall short of what we preach, if you will, and oftentimes don't do what we say and what we admonish others to do. It's called prevenient grace. That God is out reaching to us and even instills in us this very ability 
to feel and do these things, to understand them on some human level, even in the midst of who we are. And so that every single person that's ever lived is not only born into sin, but every single person that's ever lived has been a recipient of God's grace in that fashion. That you and I have families that are hopefully filled with love, those provenient grace. That you and I see the beauty of the creation around us and just intrinsically know that it wasn't just happenstance that all this was created, but there was a mover and shaper to it, prevenient grace. That whenever we come across someone doing a good act, especially for those that are in poverty or those that are just in a very hurting circumstance, there's something inside us that just says, that is good. All of that is prevenient grace in our life, and God is constantly reaching out and calling us to him. But there's not only that, but there's justifying grace. And what John Wesley meant by that is that moment of new birth, that idea that that's just not where God leaves us, that God actually through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers us new life here, now, in this moment and for eternity. That justifying grace is that idea that all the sin that is in our life, that the death that's in us, and the ways which we still choose to sin apart from God, all this is offered with pardon by the work that Christ did cross, and that you and I can have our sins pardoned and washed clean. John Wesley said, this is justifying grace. To be not only a new born, born again Christian, if you will, to be born again in the family of God and to be God's holy child, but to be God's holy child in such a way that is truly transformative in the way that we seek God and God alone that justifying grace, and we know God's goodness. We have the assurance of faith that we hear the Holy Spirit inside ourselves, and once again, we become a new creation. But John Wesley didn't stop there. And in fact, so many times in churches and sermons when we preach on grace, we stop right there. But John Wesley didn't stop there. He said there's also sanctifying grace. And what John Wesley meant by that is, you know, he talks about how when you first become a new believer and you're just, you're just overwhelmed with the sense of God's love in your life, you feel like all evil has just been washed out from you, like a tidal wave just came and just took out all, this, all the sin in your life and washed it away. And there's this moment of your life where you feel just new and free and you're just filled with love for God and neighbor. And then you're like, I am free from sin, right? And all of a sudden, temptation comes a knocking and you realize sin is still inside you at some degree. That even though the justification has happened and you've been pardoned, that sin is still at work and God is still doing a work in your life, transforming you and bringing you into that full idea of being fully sanctified by grace. And John Wesley called this sanctifying grace. And it's the grace that gets deep down in those darkest closets of our life. It's the grace that gets down into the nitty gritty of our heart that exposes all those places that we thought we were good. We realize whoa, there were motives there that were not pure. Whoa, there were desires there that did not please God. Whoa, there is temptation there through God's grace and his work inside us, the regeneration of this Holy Spirit brings us to a place where we less and less desire that sin and we more and more desire to love God and our neighbor. John Wesley called that sanctifying grace. And I love that in his, in his that the scripture way of salvation, he goes on and he, how John Wesley would write is he'd, he'd do it kind of in the old English style of writing. He'd present his case and then he would go back and he'd argue with, you know, point and counterpoint for those that would come and, and uh, say, hey, well, what about this? Well, what about this? Well, what about this? 
And I love what he says at the end of that sermon of the scripture way of salvation. He basically says, you know what? As I read scripture, it seems like we could be sanctified in life totally. And he says, you know, kind of funny thing is when you think you have been, all of a sudden you realize you haven't. So like, it's this kind of tricky thing, right? But he goes on to say, you know what? Even if it's not possible, even if God doesn't do it, what do you lose in trying? What do you lose in more and more being surrendered to the Holy Spirit? And what do you lose by accepting every single grace that comes across your life that God gives us to be transformed totally into a new and different person for Jesus Christ, to know the assurance of the Spirit? And so there's this idea of that, you know what, John Wesley kind of leaves open-ended this idea of on earth before you die, can you be totally sanctified? He'd say, why not go for it, right? Why not? In fact, here today, every single moment of every single life, we're given a new opportunity to accept God's grace yet once again in our life, to be transformed by him, to be pardoned, to become more like Jesus Christ. It's one word, but it's a good story. And it's the story of which we live by. Let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful for grace. God, I can't say that word enough here today for it is marvelous. It is astounding. It is beautiful. And truly, Lord, the story, your story, that is, that you've invited us to be part of, that if we're willing, that through faith in Jesus Christ, Lord, we're given a new being, a transformative person, and that, God, you call us to be a new creature. So, God, as we're here today, we once again accept that grace. We once again gave you praise, and we surrender our lives all those ways in which we once again wrestle with you. May you make us more like Jesus Christ. Make us more holy each and every day of our life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.